This is Sam Curry. Welcome to Security All In. Uh, here we talk about how we as individuals um, at some point in our careers go all in on security, how we came to it, and what it means to deal with risk in the security world and uh, how to cope with it, how do we become better at it. The hope is that we get some uh, we get some insight into how some people have advanced their careers in security and how they look at things. And I'm joined today by my good friend, Ari Schwartz. Ari, welcome to uh, the podcast. Thanks, Sam. And thanks for joining uh, me today. We've known each other. I think we, we've we tried to count this a few times, but something like 17 or 18 years now. Is that, does that sound about right to you? That sounds about right, yeah. Back in those days, you were you were doing uh, a lot of privacy work. I think you were with the Centers for Democracy and Technology then. Is, is that who the organization That's was? That's correct. CDT, yeah. That's and correct. how did you wind up in security? How did it find you or how did you find it? It definitely found me. I mean, I, I people, when I was at National Security Council, people would say to me, "You have particularly undergrads would say to me, you have my dream job. How do I get that job? And I said, you do not follow the path I took. That's not right. how you get here. Right. Because I just, it definitely was a windy road to getting to where I am now, where I was in government and where I am now. But really, I got to security. I had really focused a lot on open government, open networks, public places on the internet when I first came to Washington. That was what I really cared about. And I got brought into privacy because a lot, so many of the times that we wanted to do something that was innovative in that space in those times, like 93, 94, the very privacy was the very first thing mm-hmm. that would come up in people's minds. And then it was through privacy. A lot of times, you know, we'd have these issues and, and, and a couple of companies said to me, you know, if you really care about privacy, why aren't you working on spyware mm-hmm. to that, to us? And this was in 2003, 2004, you know, cause to us, you know, we're seeing huge issues there. And I looked into it, and I think they were 100% right. It was it was the first time that I saw a true overlap between a privacy and a security problem. I think now we sort of, because of the way data breach has evolved, which actually sort of passed at that same time too. Right. So I, that, that really was when, as the two started to merge. Before that, there was a big distinction between privacy and security. But around that time, people started to recognize that privacy and security were very similar. Or certainly, uh, the, certainly the controls were. Yeah, the people held responsible. Yeah. And the controls were, and that was '95, I guess, the first European data data privacy uh, regulation yeah. was. Yeah, and things have come full but circle again. I mean, you can't of. do privacy without security. Like it doesn't even it doesn't work at all. Right. Yeah. So if you don't have security, so security is sort of the, a basic fundamental principle of privacy. So that's so I came in mostly around spyware and looking at kind of the controls over spyware and and helping a lot of the anti-spyware and antivirus companies worked together at that time to address some of the issues. You and I met before that, um, yeah. working on some of the privacy stuff. But yeah, I was still, it wasn't I was still until McAfee that time. in those days, yeah. I was at McAfee, and then, yeah, and then we did more when I was at CA, because we really pushed the anti-spyware coalition at that point. Yeah, you guys were very, very helpful in helping to promote that work that I was doing. I mean, my focus originally was just, you know, where's the money coming to support this stuff that's spying on people? And, you know, basically, you had these cases where you had, you, where you'd have an install and like 10 programs would all come down at the same time and break mm-hmm. someone's computer. And uh, a lot of us will remember that we had to fix our family, mothers, fathers, brothers. I still brothers, do. Uncles. I still do. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my father-in-law computer. won't listen to this, but he is calling me all the time. I know it's an IT support call. Yep. That's right. Exactly. So, I mean, that's still the case today, but at that time it was like, it was all the same thing. It was all this just big download of all these programs that would come together and you know, it, I was, and they, and they were backed up by legitimate advertisers, and that sort of threw me to say, like, who is, where's is this coming from? Who are these companies that are? And it turned out they were getting venture capital funding to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, really, our goal at that time was just to split 
the good from the bad rather than having this gray area where people could sit around and do it through policy and through the technology side of it as well. And we were extremely successful at that time. I mean, it's sort of things sort of drifted back a little bit. Yeah, I used to hate the term potentially unwanted because there was nothing potentially unwanted about it. It was this, well, a lot of things in life have shades of gray. We were very much crisping it up and saying, no, 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 there is contrast here and there is good and bad. And we were drawing a line and um, some companies were, didn't know how to handle, I mean, antivirus companies for years had handled things that were just objectively bad, right? They destroyed stuff. And here was a, they wanted to stay and they had legal departments and they had business development teams. And remember at one point they were even trying to OEM my anti-spyware technology. It got so insidious. So it was good work, but Ari, what happened to that, right? I, I look at the debate going on now and it's like what we had done 10 and 15 years ago seems to have gone by the wayside. Yeah, I think, you know, the the problem in that space has been that there are a few companies, Google, Facebook in particular, who have now sort of uh, ramped up their, their share of the advertising marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so now you have more and more companies who were turning legitimate who are now fighting over a smaller and smaller share of the marketplace. So they're becoming more and more aggressive. So you're starting right. to see that come back quite a bit. But it, I mean, it worked for 10 years. So I Yeah, think and, still, and those uh, principles are still there, right? I mean, the, yeah. you can still dust off the old scorecards and the, you know, you can't do all caps, 192 page EULAs and, and you can't, you know, give away rights that effectively you have no idea you're giving away. And I think some of those principles should come back because it's kind of come full circle again right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of trickery that's going on right now. I think the browser companies have gotten better at closing down some of the holes faster from their side. But mm-hmm. in terms of uh, getting people to click actively, it's, it, we're starting to see that some of those games come back quite a bit. So so back to you personally, you uh, you got pulled in kind of a slippery slope of policy to privacy to security. When did you clue into it and that it was this was um, this had become a career and that it was a good one? Or did or did that happen? So when I went, to, so I was still doing privacy mostly until I went into the government around 2010, and then I had been working with NIST quite a bit, National Institute of Standards and Technology. Everyone in security yeah. knows them at this point. But uh, I was on the Information Security Privacy Advisory Board that NIST runs for the gov- yeah. for government privacy and security, and I was doing both privacy and security for them at that time as a you know uh, advisory board member. And through that, I ended up you know a job opened up, um, and it was the first time. Anyone had the word policy in their title in this over 100-year history. Wow. And it was for internet policy. Yeah. Because usually they don't like, they didn't want to get involved in policy because they're scientists. Mm-hmm. Right? It was the way that they saw it. And I totally understand that. But just you know, science, there's science policy as well, I think, yeah. was part of what the Obama administration really felt strongly about. And therefore, the idea of doing internet policy was tied to scientific policy and, and this was able to grapple with that and bring me on to do that. And it was, that was really just such a great job. And through that, I really saw, I mean, I worked on a lot of different issues mm-hmm. um, with them, but really security was the top issue. And there was just so much getting done at that time, so much to do. And really the bridge between the engineers and the policy folks was something that people really desperately needed inside the government. Yep. And so I played that role of being able to talk to both sides and Really, we got a lot done very quickly and, and really stepped up NIF's profile in the government and around the world on, on cybersecurity in terms of the kind of policy that they could help with. I mean, NIF had always been a huge player since the early crypto days. There were early crypto days, but you know, obviously now with the, the way that people view the special pubs that they put out, it really is the, kind of the, the guiding principles that 
and turn into things like ISO and PCI and other SOC 2. All those are the controls that NIST has approved. Yeah, and I, I know look, I've, I've been on the private sector of the majority of my career, and I think you've been either in the public side or on the policy setting side for a long time within government in a number of places or around it. If, I, if I'm characterizing that wrong, feel free to correct me, but I remember I asked you once because the, the – the way we operate is different between the two. And I remember asking you, so how do you keep saying in a world of uh, policy where in my case, I can sit down and I can, I can build something, I can test something, I can uh, put a control in place. And my big struggles are, are largely budget wise. And while you have budget issues too, I, I remember asking you this and you said you had to focus on a few things that, that you really wanted to get done and make sure people knew them. What was it like when you went to the white house and trying to make things happen? And then now that you've left and you now are doing so much in the in outside of government, maybe how has your mission shifted or what are the things you're trying to accomplish now? Yeah, I do think when you go into government, you really have to have, especially if you know you're going to be there for a short time. I actually planned to go in for like two and a half years, ended up staying for almost six. Wow. Uh, and, and the reason for that was I had this, you know, I had this great job at NIST. I got promoted to be this uh, secretary's t- tech advisor. So I worked with NIST and NTIA mm-hmm. and the patent office. Uh, mostly and helped to uh, bridge all the issues that they had, and that was a that was a really tough job. I mean, because really those organizations they get their budget from they don't get their budget through the secretary, right? right so right. you have to convince them it's in their interest to work together, which is very very hard. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's but but it is. I think I'm well, you know one of my strengths is facilitation and trying to get get people to see why it's in their mutual interest to work together in certain areas. And so I was able to use that and and get a lot done there through that work. During that time, we had six different secretaries within the two and a half years that I worked at the, in the Commerce Department mm-hmm. um, in the secretary's office. And that really led to kind of a, when the White House needed something, they would come through, you know, the policy folks that were there, including me, to get things done. So I built up a good relationship with the mm-hmm. White House staff there and kind of demonstrated that I knew how to get things done, et cetera. And that led to the NSC asking me to come over and, and eventually become senior director there, which was sort of the uh, kind of the capstone of you know being able to work, get things done on cybersecurity, right? Because it really is organizing the entire government at that point. So through that, I you know I really learned quite a lot about the interagency process and how you know getting I learned a lot more about the intelligence community as I was there. Although I was there more on the defensive side, I got to uh, you know work with uh, uh, the offensive folks as well and and uh, work with uh, a lot of the folks that had been spent a lot of time on building uh, critical infrastructure protection and inside the government protections, et cetera, as well as privacy and information sharing. So I think those, you know, working on those issues very specifically and having a goal that I wanted to accomplish on each of them really helped to drive a lot of the work that I was doing. And I think therefore, you know, also helped to get a lot of wins for the administration in the space. You know, I think that it was a tough time because there were that was when I started there it was like the beginning of all the, these huge breaches. Oh yeah. And so it was getting more and more attention, but that also meant that we could do more and more too. You know, you can't let a good crisis like that go to waste. <laughs> so if you, you have good policy ideas, they were willing to take them. And we, we got a lot of them through. I worked on a lot of legislation, a lot of executive orders that went through and got signed and, and are now widely cited as being kind of the basis for cybersecurity policy. So. That's cool. Uh, do you miss it at all? Do you now that you look back and go, were those were those the good days, or have you have you moved on to bigger and, and broader fields? Well, it's different. I mean, you know, like, like even as I say, my my uh, view of what an emergency is has changed <laughs> a lot, right? Like an emergency to me before I went into the White House was you know whatever the problem was for, that I was dealing with right away. But when the people next to you are working on Ebola and they're working on you know children dying at the border and things uh, like that. Um, you know, people's lives are at risk right that second. 
like even the huge cybersecurity challenges that we had weren't total emergencies in the same way. Like those the, right. the people dying came first. Yeah, no, and nobody so, dies um, today sometimes. I mean, they can, but, but yeah. often the, the stuff in cyber, uh, you know, it can get up that high, but it doesn't, right? So I certainly miss like being able to get things done very quickly, but I don't miss like, you know, that, that pressure of all the emergencies around, around me and the tension as to how we're going to solve these and what every decision we make uh, might mean. So um, uh, that's, uh, you know, I'm glad to do it for a short period of time. I mean, it was really, I'm very glad about the accomplishments we had with the administration in the administration I was in, but I'm also now look back and, and uh, can look at, look back at it and say, uh, I'm glad to spend <laughs> time with my family and, you know, get things done in, in the private sector. As you said, it's much faster to get things done and much more easy. I mean, some of, you know, some of the big things, you get, like sometimes I'd get paper or some, some important document would come through my desk and I would make some small changes to it and those would go through and it would be, you know, part of the policy because That's I made cool. a small change. That Those were really great because I wasn't investing a lot of time in it, but other things, so, you know, you less invest months and months in and it, it, you just barely see them move. So that I think can be frustrating about working in the government. So mm. there's, you kind of got to balance the quick wins with the uh, long-term slog. Um, and in the private sector, you know, you can get a lot more done. But that's something we something we rarely have the same kind of consequences. Yeah, something, so. something we rarely have is as formal and, I guess, stratified the separation between the policy and the execution, right? Because yeah, if there was a crisis, you would obviously be part of it. But for the most part, what you were doing was setting up the ability for others to then go build and do. Am I, am I interpreting that correctly or is it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, we got dragged into because there wasn't, a lot of the operational stuff there, we ended up getting dragged into more operational stuff than a White House should. Mm-hmm. And after every time that happened, we would, you know, come back with a, a proposal to say, you know, this is something the White House shouldn't deal with. We need someone in the f- federal government to take this on as their mission because we felt very strongly like we're not supposed to be operational. So, but 90% of what we did was not operational at all and was setting the policy so that people, people doing the operations could do a better job. And then 10% was doing operations that we then had to learn from and yeah. hand off to someone else. Yeah. And, and who did you, what kind of, I should say, rather than naming people, what kind of people did you rely on then? If it's like 10% of your, is to give yourself a feedback loop, you had to be relying on peers. Um, was it, were they mostly within government or DOD or the IC or was it private sector or others? To give you the kind of, I mean, a lot of what I've seen you do is these amazing views of an area, breaking it down, categorizing it, making it a constructive synthesis or analysis, and then a set of recommendations on what to do that then become the the template for how others go do it. To what degree did you rely on peers and people to help you do that in a rapid way? Because I know it could take a while to make happen, but you still put them together in a matter of uh, weeks rather than months, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we had, there's just so many partners out there on, on this stuff, right? You have DOD, you have NSA as part of DOD, state, the intelligence community, including CIA and the uh, Director of National Intelligence, the Justice Department, including the FBI, uh, you know, DHS, including the Secret Service and the folks, the CERT, right? The Commerce Department, mm-hmm. NTIA and, and, and NIST. So, you know, all these folks working together. And then you have the individual sectors, right, as well. So you'd have the FCC or the Energy Department or, you know, different people that we would work with on, on different ma- different types of matters. Uh, you know, a lot of financial stuff was really big while we were there and it still remains big. So it's the, tre- you know, Treasury and their regulator and all the regulators. 
out on the, of the financial services we spend a lot of time with. So, you know, it, it goes on and on. I mean, and that's just within the government, right? So the coordination right. is just really amazing. And then um, being able to try and coordinate as well with the individual sectors. I mean, one of the reasons that I was brought on was because I had a lot of good connections in the private sector and could help to make ties to people and, you know, make introductions to say, oh, you know, we need someone in the private sector to help us with this because the government is not going to, I mean, it can't do everything on cybersecurity. Can it be expected to do everything on cybersecurity? And um, the yeah. private sector. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, in some ways it's probably good that that's the case, but you know, I think that there probably needs to be more resources for government on cybersecurity, but still not going to be able to do everything and you're going to need the private sector to step up. So therefore is who do you bring in to have this discussion with about the roles of the private sector and the government? And so there's a lot of discussions between um, the private sector and, and government. And, and some of that, a lot of that happens through trade associations, but sometimes it's the companies directly as well. Um, here on the podcast, we sometimes talk about uh, a few analogies for risk. And of course, the it's called security all in, right? So there's obviously a poker one there. That's very much a private sector sense, right? Because it's about calculated risks rather than certainties. To what degree would any of those metaphor, any of that metaphor work for the work you were doing in the government or for people in the government in general? Do you think it's a, is that even talked about or acknowledged that notion of you have a fog of war, you don't entirely know, and, and you're playing a game almost, almost a geopolitical one now in cybersecurity? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we tend to think of it more as risk management. And that's one of the things that I was, you know, that was my goal to promote while I was in the government was the idea of more focused on risk management mm-hmm. and less on checkbox compliance for that reason, right? And, and every sector and, and every player is going to have a different kind of outlook as to what their, where their made risks are. I and mean, the question is really, are you just addressing those? Are you prioritizing and addressing those risks that you have or are you ignoring them? And, and, and that's what's kind of the message we were trying to get out. And I think we've successfully done that. I think people talk about cybersecurity as risk management much yeah. more now than they did five years ago. And I think that is a success in, the, in this space. And you know, I'm glad you guys talk about it that way. I think that it's the right way and that it has led to better practices in general and led to boards of directors and C-suite level folks understanding um, how they should be thinking about cybersecurity mm-hmm. better. You know, It's not just something that you can hand off to the security team and say, you guys go do it and then report back to us that it's done. It has to be an engagement of, you know, here's where we are today. Here's where we're trying to get to. Here's the resources we need to do that. And it's got to be, a, you know, back and forth on those discussions, the way you deal with the way the board deals with financial risk, right, um, yeah. as well, right? So that I think you got to, we have to treat security risk that same way. So I think, and I think that's the way that we've been talking about in the government. Now, that said, when you're talking about protecting government systems, it wasn't until the very end of my time there that we were able to penetrate through to the government security folks to say, you need to start thinking this about, about yeah. this more in a risk management way because it's so much easier for them to just do the checkbox compliance, right? Here's what I have to do. I'll get as much of it done as I can, and you'll grade me on it, and that'll be good, as opposed to kind of really look, sitting down and looking at their full risks. Yeah. Um, and I think we are just starting, and now you're starting to see more of that come through uh, inside the government. Yeah, we, we culturally, both, both in the private sector uh, over time and I think in certainly hierarchical organizations, we reward people for having the right answers rather than the right process, right? It's much easier to be able to say, see, I did it and I have the knowledge and yeah, my guys are the smartest people in the room. Off we go, leave me alone, let me do my thing. When in fact, what we should be doing is saying, you know, it's about how we approach it together and how we keep organized and how we align to other forms of risk. And I love to hear that. Well, actually, I, I, I like the fact that you're able to drive that in government and that's now a bigger part of how things are done in general. Shifting gears a little bit, Ari, if you uh, you left the government, I think really two, three years ago, if I'm wrong there, correct me, but now you've gone into the private sector and you're doing a lot still with public standards and with uh, 
you, you were with an organization literally called the Cybersecurity Coalition, but coalition building and consensus building and having the right dialogues. How has your personal mission changed? And does it still have some of the same themes or has it shifted to a different gear entirely? I think it still has a lot of the same things, themes. I mean, I've been trying to work with different parts of the security ecosystem here. So, you know, part of it is working with the vendors and um, there hadn't really been a voice for vendors uh, in a while in terms of uh, looking at policy and looking at it strategically. And so try to take that on. And I think we've been successful in terms of bringing together a lot of the real big players in the space, as well as some, some uh, new up and coming players that have great people and try to lead on certain, you know, distinct areas rather than try and take everything on all at once. So I think that's been really successful. Also, you know, trying to work with range of different folks that across sectors that are trying to accomplish some things as well. That's is one of my goals, you know, so trying to, there's a lot of work within sectors to build um, security policy, but it, you know, in terms of getting people to think outside their sector in ways that they can work together, it's it a little bit harder. I think people are worried about the mission in front of them, and therefore that leads them to their sector. But uh, trying to get people to think outside that structure is, is another area that I've been doing a lot of work. Um, and then just helping individual companies, too. I mean, we do a lot of work. That's why I'm at a law firm is it's, you know, we can do that under working with folks and working with their legal teams mm -hmm. um, to, to help them prioritize based on all different kinds of risk, not just the straight out, you know, what's the threat in front of us today, but in terms of, uh, you know, where's the, where's our liability down the road? So, so to make this a, a bit more personal, is there anything, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little time to think about it. Anything that inspires you, I'll give you some maybe examples like music or cooking or a particular book or discipline. Is there anything that you find to center yourself in this work and working with others or that you've, or even role models or uh, anything like that, that you go, you know what, that that's inspired me. And maybe from the perspective of, like getting to know you better, but also somebody listening to this might go, yeah, you know what? I like that. I hadn't thought of how to apply it. Anything come to mind? I know it's a bit of a, an off the wall question, but uh, what's the RE secret sauce that nobody else knows? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with like getting, uh, coming to consensus on things. And there are just so many great role models, you know, throughout history that serve that role. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, you're looking at the way John F. Kennedy wrote about leadership, you know, inspired me quite a bit to, yeah. to say, you know, that's the way that I think about leadership as well, and and how we get come to agreement on things is important as a um, both in in small groups and then all the way out to to how we do that as a country. I think that has gotten lost a little bit in the last several years, but uh, I do think that that's important an important way that Americans think about cooperation and collaboration and you know democratic thinking. You know, small d. On, yeah. uh, how we solve problems is important. And that's why I uh, I think that inspires a lot of the work I do. I mean, on the personal side, I listen to a ton of music and I play guitar and that keeps me centered a lot of the time as well. I don't know how much of it flows over to my uh, um, the work that I do, but certainly it is something that I, that I think is an important part of my life and, uh, and coming, becoming a more increasingly a part of my kids' lives too. So. Yeah. Oh, any particular style of music uh, that you, uh, you are happy sharing? Uh, guilty pleasures are not trying to uncover just what makes you tick a little Bit. Oh, I mostly listen to indie rock, you know, nice. the Nationals is my favorite, current favorite band, but, uh, you know, lots of other stuff as well. Uh, I also listen to a lot of jazz too. So, awesome. um, so, uh, last question. Sometimes we, uh, uh, maybe, maybe two more, uh, for the second to last question will be, we're actually looking to put together a poker game for security, senior security folks, uh, CISOs, folks who've, who've been there and, and have a, a unique perspective. Uh, would you be up for joining us at one of these events sometime? We do a live uh, sort of like poker stars of security kind of thing. 
Yeah, you know, I saw this in the, the opening question, so I'm, I'm curious what the buy-in is. But uh, oh, for you, a deal. I got. I'll make a deal for you. We'll, we'll make it. Okay. We'll make it relatively low. I'm, I'm. I'm not very good, but I would do it. I would do it if I could get a, a you know, a ringer like I know Avi Rubin is a uh, well-known security expert who uh, is actually good at poker and would uh, has won many tournaments. I would rather have him take my place and put my money in on him. But I would. I would participate in. Be, be very, very Game of Thrones. Very Game else. of Thrones is we'll all bring our own champions to represent us as opposed to. That's right. That's, see, that's that's I mean, risk management. Like I'm, I'm right talking there. about what my skills are, and it's like cooperation, listening <laughs> to people. Those are not good skills for poker. No, right? they're no, <laughs> they're not. No, they're not. Um, uh, and then the uh, the last question is, you know, we, you started by talking about the pers- people who asked, like, how do I get to be where you are? And I think the really interesting people in careers at some point break away from a path, and most of the narrative we tell about how we got here is fiction anyway. But um, someone out there listening to this podcast recently entered the security markets thinking, man, I want to be like Ari. I want to do what he did. Uh, do you have any advice now in 2018 for that person, him or her? Yeah, I would say I think the way to do it is really to both be up on the technical side and the policy side at the same time. Mm. Um, there are a number of younger folks in the space who are doing that successfully right now. And I think that they're making a name for themselves because they understand the technology so well, um, as well as they can speak to the policy folks. So I would encourage people to do that. That's not what I did, but I would, I think that would generally get you to the same place that I'm at now. If you followed that path. I mean, the other thing is it's not just like that, you know, the, everyone takes a different path there. It's the path changes too, right? Like, you know, I wouldn't known where I wanted to go. I would have made the, I would have told you I wanted to be somewhere else, you know, 20 years ago when I first got to Washington. Um, so, you know, that, that, that path changes too. So I would be, stay open to that as well and, and try to realize when you have a good opportunity and, and take that opportunity, it's not always the money or the, uh, the glamour that, that is a good opportunity. Sometimes it's working with the right people and having the right opportunities to set you up later on. Um, I certainly found that, uh, CDT gave me a lot of that as well, where they're willing to let a lot of the younger people do the work, right? At that time, right. we were, they would, they let us do that. So I think that that was important more important than, uh, you know, having some kind of glamour role or uh, making a lot of money at that point. So I think that set me up well, I would say. Of course, now, now whoever's other... listening is thinking that there's no money in it and that they're all going to go do something else. But yeah, no, you were going to say the other. I mean, I was saying uh, in policy, I mean, there's not that much money in policy. That, I mean, now there's more money in working with companies on policy <laughs> after the fact after you build up a name, but it's not, you know, there isn't that much money in it compared to what you can make coding. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind. But I would say the other, yeah, the other thing is like, if you want to go to the NSC, the way to get there is do international policy, right? Yeah. So most of the people that get hired at NSC are people that are, have the international policy background and they're focused on one area and they're, they become extremely knowledgeable about one area. And then they end up moving up the ranks because of that knowledge. And, cy- and cyber that, is a potential that area is a more now. Right? Common path, yeah, and yeah. cyber is part of that, right? I'm mean, knowing cyber and a region about cyber is mm-hmm. would be very valuable now, and it's going to be valuable for the next twenty, thirty years. So uh, I would say that that is not going to change, and and that's that's a more typical path too. So uh, that's what I would say in terms of uh, you know, but I would probably for the people on this podcast probably lean more heavily on the uh, both doing the technical and the policy at the same time, and learning how to write policy papers. Yeah, is important too. If you're a technical guy that knows how to write policy papers, there's a lot of opportunities for you. The ones with money and ones without money. Right. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Preferably the ones with, but they're both, they're all important right now. Yeah. 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 
Ari, I'm I'm so glad that you did take the path you did, and that um, you know, like any good jazz, you, you riffed on it, and uh, we had a chance to work together, and we still do. And uh, I just want to say thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Sam. I mean, you're one of the best people to work with in this space, oh. and always have been. So uh, I'm always happy to do something like this for you, and and hope that we can continue to work together into the future. Awesome. Thanks again, Ari. Mm-hmm. 